you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Zechariah chapter 3. And if you haven't been in Zechariah this week for your quiet time, go to Matthew and turn left. Go to Matthew and turn left. You'll find it pretty quickly. Owen, you must be really tall up here because this is a tall mic stand. (laughs) Zechariah chapter 3. The title of my message is called Finding Your Worth and Value in Christ. Finding Your Worth and Value in Christ. And what I have seen the Lord do, I preached this message before, is use it as a very encouraging message uh, to the church family. So my prayer is that uh, this message, God would use it to encourage you today as we think about our worth and our value in Christ. You know, sometimes we just need a reminder of who we are and who we belong to. Sometimes we just need a good reminder of who we are and who uh, we belong to, especially as we think of that through a biblical worldview and talk about us being in Christ. I have a family of six I have uh, my two youngest ones are London and Reuben. Uh, London and Reuben, we adopted them when they were one and two years old. Uh, They're now 10 and 11, so they've been a part of our family for a long time. Uh, We have a mixed race family. They're uh, African-American children from New Orleans. So they've been with us a while, and we travel a little bit. And if you know much about traveling and you've got a mixed race family, you usually will get questions at the airport. So this particular trip we were on not long ago, we were at the airport and we were traveling and for some reason Joy had all the other kids and I had London with me. So London and I are going through, I've got the the clear thing so you can get through faster and if you have a kid of a certain age they can go with you free. So London's with me and we're going through and we've always, you know, uh, prepared London and Reuben, hey when we go to the airport they're going to ask you a lot of questions because you're black or white and they're going to ask you what your name is, they're going to ask you if we're your real parents. They, they do that a lot. If you don't have a mixed race family, you may not know that, but they do that. Uh, trafficking can sometimes be bad, and they're just trying to be protect, protective and, and make sure they're looking out for people. So London's with me, and we're going through. TSA has pulled me aside and pulled her aside. You know, they've got her over here. She's not far enough away from me that uh, she's nervous or anything, or I'm nervous, but she's standing there, and the TSA agent is saying, uh, what's your name? And she's going, London Ross, and they ask her over and over again, what's your name? She said, London Ross, and then they're asking her, who's your dad? And she's going, he's my dad. And they ask her over and over, who's your dad? And she goes, he's my dad. It was just this point in the conversation where she just had this look of disgust on her face where she said, I am London Ross, and that is my dad. And I am sitting there, you know, pride is swelling up in my heart. She knows who she is, and she knows who her daddy is. Uh, Even though I'm a different color than her, she knew that. She was very, very confident in the fact that she was London Ross and that George Ross, that man right there, that's my dad. And she wanted them to know that. Sometimes we can be confused by who we are and who we belong to. And my prayer this morning is through the book of Zechariah, you are encouraged and reminded of who you are in Christ and that you indeed do belong to the Lord. Over 20 years ago, I was really struggling with my identity. I was a young church planter. My ministry was really uh, well on the outside, but on the inside, everything was not very good. My ministry had become my identity instead of my calling. 
My family was suffering. I was suffering. It was bad all the way around. God had to do some hard, sanctifying work in my life and teach me about what true biblical identity looked like, how to understand my worth and my value in Christ. Not what I do, but who I am. And I want to encourage you today from God's Word to find your worth and value in Jesus. Paul Tripp says this about identity. He says, human beings are always assigning to themselves some kind of identity. There are only two places to look, he writes. Either you will be getting your identity vertically from who you are in Christ, or you'll be shopping for it horizontally in the situations, experiences, and circumstances and relationships of your daily life. The battle for identity is real. Where you get your worth and value impacts every race, every age, every occupation. I'm battling for identity issues weekly, if not daily. We're constantly going to the well, or we need to be constantly going to the well of the gospel as we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Culture is telling us that our identity comes from things like looks, performance, achievement, success, power, approval. Our tendency is to identify ourselves by what we do, not who we are. Apostle Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in him 147 times in the New Testament letters. These phrases confirm our new position in the family of God because we have placed our faith and trust in Christ Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to save us. A proper understanding of our identity directly affects our Christian growth and our witness to the world. Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, it's this beautiful Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. If you open your Bibles there, and I'm going to read the text in just a moment, I just love preaching this passage. It's just been one of the most meaningful texts in the last 20 years of my life. It's deeply ministered to my soul. The background of this text is that Zechariah is part of the group of Israelites that have returned from captivity. It's been roughly 20 years since they've returned. Uh, The people of Israel are languishing as they are far removed from the glory days of David and Solomon. The city and the temple, the, the temple of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, they're just a shadow of what they used to be. The stories of God and His power were long ago. The promises of God to the people right now in this story seem far away. The prophet Zechariah in this book has a series of visions where God says to him, tell the people, if they will return to me, I will give you hope. And this is what he writes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick? snatched from the fire. Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head and they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. And the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, This is what the Lord of armies says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among these who are standing here. 
Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you. Indeed, these men are a sign that I'm about to bring my servant, the branch. Notice the stone I have set before Joshua. On that one stone are seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take away the iniquity of this land in a single day. On that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Father, would you take this passage? God, remind us from your word, uh, Lord, what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we have an incredible reminder day of, God, who we are and who we belong to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things that I would give you from the text. Here's the number one. The characters in the battle for identity. The characters in the battle for identity. When you look at this story and you look at the text, there's three characters in this particular chapter. The first character is Joshua. This is Joshua the high priest. This is not Joshua connected to Moses. So this is Joshua the high priest that in that day and in that time, the role of the high priest was to lead the nation to worship the Lord. And again, this is after captivity. This is not in the glory days of David and Solomon. Uh, this is when the city of Jerusalem was barely put together. The temple was barely working and all those things are happening. This is not those glory days we read about uh, in the old times of Israel. This is that time leading right into those 400 years of silence, and Joshua, he is the high priest of that day and time. He's supposed to be leading the people of Israel in the worship of the Lord. The second character is the angel of the Lord. Well, who in the world is the angel of the Lord? I believe this is a Christophany. So if you hear that word often, a Christophany is a, a picture in the Old Testament. It's Jesus. It's an uh, incarnate picture of Jesus in the Old Testament in the story. I believe this angel of the Lord is Jesus, the pre-incarnate at Christ, and Jesus is represented in this story as the angel of the Lord. Here's the third character in the story. The third character is Satan, the devil. And, and I know you're a good Baptist. The devil is real. The devil is real. You're a good Baptist, but you're not shouting Baptist. You ought to say, amen, he is real. The devil is real. And we forget about the reality of spiritual warfare in this story, in this vision that Zechariah sees. You've got Joshua the high priest in this vision. You've got the angel of the Lord, Jesus in this picture, and you've got Satan. Revelation 12.10 says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before the Lord. In this very story, we see Satan uh, showing his nature. He is the accuser of the brethren. Not only is he the accuser of the brethren, he's a great liar. Jesus says to the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil, he says, you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. He speaks out of his own character. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. We have Joshua, the angel Lord, and Satan, the father of lies and the great accuser pictured in this story. So those are the, the characters in the battle for identity. Here's the scene. So this, this scene, it seems to be some type of heavenly scene almost. This scene that the scripture gives us, the scene in the battle for identity, there's three things I would give you. Here's number one. First, we see Joshua standing before the Lord. Verse one. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, 
standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. This picture is, is a picture of Joshua the high priest standing before Christ. This picture of Joshua the high priest is being accused by Satan. There's no telling what Satan is saying. I'll follow up on that in a minute. But we see this picture of Joshua standing before the Lord and, and this scene playing out. Here's the second thing we see in this scene. We see Joshua has on filthy garments. The text says that his clothes are filthy. The Hebrew word there for filth and clothes, it's actually dung. It's excrement. So I want you to think about this for a minute. This vision that Zechariah is seeing and he's sharing with other people, Joshua the high priest, if you're the high priest of Israel, you had to be ceremonial clean. There's a bajillion things if you look through Leviticus in the Old Testament that a high priest had to make sure they didn't do anything wrong to become ceremonial unclean. I, I just want to paint this picture for you. When the Hebrews hear this story or, or we see this picture, the most unclean thing that you can do is be covered in excrement. And in the story, the high priest Joshua is standing before the Lord, and he is covered. His, his high priestly clothes are covered in manure. That's the picture that the author is giving us in this story. He's covered in, in excrement. There's nothing more unclean than, and nasty than this picture. There's nothing more unclean than nasty than this picture, especially given the day and time and the responsibilities that Joshua had as a high priest to be ceremonial clean. I was raised on a dairy farm in north of Mississippi. I knew when I was in high school that I wanted to go to college because I did not want to be a dairy farmer. Amen. If you're in a dairy farm and you know how hard of work that is, it's really, really hard work. Praise the Lord for all that I learned from that experience. But growing up on a dairy farm, we had about 100 cows that were milked twice a day. And as I grew up, and I think probably from 10 to 17, we had something called a holding pen. And that holding pen was where all the cows, the dairy cows, would come and they would stand in the holding pen. We'd get the cows up and we'd put them in the holding pen, close the gate, and then you would milk the cows four at a time. Take you several hours to milk over 100 cows four at a time that came through our parlor. But they would stand in that holding pen and they would just, uh, excuse my language here at the church service, they would poop and pee. That's all they would do. And my job growing up, was my job as a kid, we had a giant fire hose at the end of the holding pen. And my job growing up was to get that hose. And I would wash down the poop and pee of the holding pen every single day. That's what I did growing up. And it took about an hour. I solved all the world's problems uh, as a kid from 10 to 17, thinking about all the things I could think of for an hour washing down poop down a drain. And I would get back to the house and I would be covered in it because it splattered everywhere. And I always remember my mom saying, take off your clothes. You smell like cow poop. You smell like cow poop. He is covered in excrement. That's the picture the Bible gives us of him standing before the Lord. Here's the third thing we see. We see Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua, and he is accusing him. Listen, I can only imagine what he's saying because I've heard it myself over the years. What makes you think you can lead these people to worship God, Joshua? I know who you are. I know what you've done, Joshua. You're unfit to stand before a holy God and lead the people to worship a holy God. Man, I can only imagine because I've only heard it. And we have this picture of Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua, accusing him, the, the voice of Satan, which is the great accuser. He's the father of lies. 
It's a great reminder for us in this story, because there's a battle for identity going on in that story. The battle for identity is going on in that story, and Satan is accusing Joshua in this story. I'm mindful of how often we let so many other voices speak identity into our lives. Many of us find our identity and our worth and value from other voices and other places instead of what God's Word has clearly taught us and shown us about who we are in Jesus. A question for you this morning is what voice concerning identity will you believe today? What voice concerning identity will you believe today? If you've never felt like you're unworthy as a Christian this morning, you're probably suffering from self-righteousness. I just want to encourage you to recognize that. If you've never suffered from believing you're unworthy in this room, you you might be suffering from self-righteousness. You need to repent of that. The truth, even though Satan is the father of lies, he really only has to tell the truth about us to accuse us. None of us measure up. None of us meet the expectations of God. All of us, everyone in this room, stand before the Lord with filthy garments covered in excrement. If you always feel like you're unworthy as a Christian, you're suffering from believing a lie. If you always feel like you're unworthy as a Christian, you're suffering from believing a lie. Your identity is in Christ. The excrement-covered clothes you had have been replaced with the very righteous robes and righteous identity of Jesus. The third thing we see in the text is the reality for the battle of identity. The reality in the battle for identity. Several things happen here. Joshua gets new clothes. He gets new clothes. I love what Paul says in Colossians 3, 3 through 4. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Listen, if we're in Christ, we've been hidden in Christ. If we're in Christ, we've got his very, very righteousness. The great exchange, the, the, our unrighteousness for his righteousness through repentance and faith. In this picture, we see Joshua getting new clothes in the story. So it's a beautiful picture that God is saying, you're now clean. You are now clean with these new clothes. He's given a wonderful picture that the audience would have understood. Not only does he get new clothes, he gets a new crown. Some translations say turban, some translations say crown. Actually, this is mentioned in Exodus chapter 39:30, And this is what it says in Exodus. They made a plate of the holy crown of pure gold. So the high priest would wear a turban or a crown, and on that turban and on that crown, Exodus tells us that there's a plate in the front of it made of pure gold, a a sign of purity, a sign of holiness. And not only does he get new clothes, it's almost like there is a picture here that God is giving us. He's going to the nth degree here. He gets a new crown. Do you know what's engraved in gold on that new crown? Holy to the Lord. The audience would have known that. Engraved on that crown is holy to the Lord. So Joshua, who was covered in clothes that were covered in excrement, gets new clothes and he gets the crown, and that crown has got a gold stamp on it that says holy unto the Lord. Listen, there's a lot of times you probably feel like you're not holy to the Lord, but if you are in Christ, you are holy to the Lord. We see he gets new clothes, we see he gets a new crown. Visualize this. Joshua the high priest who represents the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and you and I in the grand narrative of Scripture, stands before the Lord in filthy, excrement-covered clothes, being accused by Satan until, 
Jesus rebukes Satan in the authoritative name of the Lord and says, you're now clean. He is clothed in new clothes, given a new crown, symbolizing the fact that his sins and the sins of the nation have been cleansed by the authority and the grace of God. What a beautiful picture. We see in this picture that he gets new clothes. We see he gets a new crown. Here's the third thing. He gets recommissioned. The end of that passage gives a, a, a messianic picture, something to come, uh, referencing the branch there. Uh, the reality is Jesus is the branch in that story. But in that passage as well, Joshua is recommissioned. Essentially, I'll give you the, the paraphrase, the George Ross translation. Jesus says, uh, you're clean, get busy. Get busy leading my people. You're clean, get busy leading. That's what Jesus is telling. That is what is being conveyed to Joshua in the story. He's recommissioned. So we see him recommissioned. He gets new clothes. He gets a new crown. He is recommissioned. This is just a beautiful Old Testament picture foreshadowing our new life in Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful Old Testament picture foreshadowing our new life in Christ. We see this story in this minor prophet in Zechariah. This story leads me to give you some exhortations to leave here with today. Here they are. Some practical exhortations for battling for identity. How do we take a passage like this and how can we apply it just to our daily lives? Here's six thoughts that I would give you. Here's number one. As we think about this text and we think about our battle for identity, the, the reality that our worth and value comes from Jesus, identify the enemy. Identify the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, there's a real enemy out there. Your kids are not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your brother and sister in Christ are not your enemy. People of this world aren't your enemy. They're the mission. As you think about the reality of spiritual warfare and the reality that we're always battling for who we are and who we belong to recognize there's a real enemy out there and his name is satan and he is at work satan wants you to believe your identity is everything but christ satan wants you to believe that your identity is everything but christ he wants you to believe that approval is your identity who's approving you today he wants you to believe that power is your identity. How much power you got is going to determine uh, if you have worth and value. How much success you have is going to determine your worth and value. He wants you to believe acceptance is your identity. If, if everybody just accepts me and everybody's good with me, I'm going to have worth and value. Achievement is your identity. Listen, he wants you to believe all those things are your identity and they are not your identity. Jesus is your identity. Satan is work, at work every day accusing the brethren of lies here's number two embrace truth we need to identify the enemy we need to embrace truth second corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god the truth that scripture gives us is that our identity is in christ that he who knew no sin jesus becomes our righteousness when we repent and believe in christ his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Your identity in Christ, listen to this, frees you from the accusations of the devil. Your identity in Christ frees you from the accusations of the devil and the approval of men. Your identity in Christ frees you from the accusations of the devil 
and the approval of man. Satan wants you to feel guilty when God has called you righteous. Satan wants you to feel guilty when God has called you righteous. Your identity is in not how you perform. Your identity is in how Christ performed. And let me tell you how Christ performed. He was sinless. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he's coming back again one day. That is what Christ has done for us. Three words that I try to instill in my children are accepted, approved, and adopted. I want my children to know that in Christ Jesus they are accepted. Romans 5.1, since therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want my children to know they're accepted by God because of Jesus. I want my children to know they're approved by God because of Jesus. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My children are accepted by God because of Jesus. My kids are approved by God because of Jesus. Jesus took their punishment for sin. And because of Christ, God approves them, God accepts them. But friends, how glorious is it that in Scripture, we not only know scripturally that God approves us, approves in us because of Jesus, that God not only accepts us because of Jesus, but God gives us this picture in the Bible of adoption, that he actually makes us his children. He brings us into his family. He makes us his very own. We are adopted by God, Galatians 3, 25 through 27. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Friends, God loves us. And we need to be reminded of the truth that God loves us. And that if we are in Christ Jesus, we are accepted, approved, and adopted by God. There's a law in Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana still functions uh, in a lot of Spanish and French uh, legal codes. It's one of the few states in the Union that still does some of the things they do. If you live in Louisiana, you get it and you know it. It affected our adoption process. So almost 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, when we're adopting London and Reuben, um, we had had them fostered them for two years, and there's a long fostering journey. It was ups and downs of that journey. It was very, very difficult in our family, but they had been a part of our forever family almost since they came into our doors. So that journey was just difficult, but I remember after two years and everything was complete and, and you had to go to an attorney and a lawyer uh, in, the, in the city of New Orleans and they had to walk you through the forced airship law. So there's a law in Louisiana called forced airship and it's a stack of papers you've got to read and you've got to sign. You've got to have an attorney and a lawyer there present with you as you read them and as you sign them. Forced airship in Louisiana is for adoptions. Enforced airship in Louisiana means this, that when you adopt a child, uh, once that adoption is legal, that they have everything you have forever. So the, the law essentially says this, there's nothing I can do to get rid of them. Like four or five years go down the road and, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't say that I want to end this adoption. I am legally bound to London and Reuben. They're legally bound to everything that I have. And, and just like my biological kids, they have everything I have. So uh, two years have gone by, ups and downs. We're at the lawyer's office. I didn't know this lawyer or the attorney. And we're there, and I'm crying. I'm at the end of the table, and I'm just slobbering, crying. Boogers coming out of my nose. I can't breathe. And the attorney says, hey, are you okay? Are you sure you want to go through this? And I said, absolutely. I know the biblical adoption. I know the biblical understanding of adoption. Amen. I know what I get in Christ Jesus. She was asking me if I was, you know, having second thoughts. I said, no, I'm not having second thoughts. They can have it all. You have it all in Christ Jesus. 
Friends, don't settle for any substitute. In Christ Jesus, you have everything you can possibly have that the Lord would give you. Friends, believe that truth. He has made you his child. I had a friend this week preaching. He made a great statement. He said, some of us uh, forget when we're preaching on God's love, he loves us. God, friends, God not only loves you, he likes you in Christ Jesus. You're part of his family. Here's the third thing that I would give you in finding your worth and value in Christ. If you're going to battle for identity, you're going to have to resist comparison. You're going to have to resist comparison. You will never walk in freedom and joy if you're always living in comparison with others. You will never walk in freedom and joy if you're, not, if you're always living in comparison with others. You can never live on mission if you're always dissatisfied and discontent with your life. Friends, there's a lot of discontent, miserable Christians out there. You need not be one of them. Christians ought to be the most hopeful people on the planet because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. That's who we ought to be. That's who we ought to be known for as the most hopeful people. But one of the reasons we're not is we live lives that are often miserable and bitter because all we do is become discontent and dissatisfied with who we are, with where we are, and what God's called us to do because we've been looking at somebody else and they got it better than us. Jeremiah Burroughs writes this, The devil is the most discontented creature in the world. He is the proudest creature that is, and the most discontented creature, and the most dejected creature, he writes. Now, therefore, so much discontent as you have, so much of the spirit of Satan you have. May it be that we're not discontent people and bitter people because we spend our lives comparing to others. Comparison is a terrible taskmaster. Identify whatever or whoever gets you into a comparison funk and give it to Jesus. It's not worth it. Identify whatever or whoever gets you into a comparison funk and give it to Jesus. It's not worth it. Here's number four, walk in the light. If we think about our battle for identity, walk in the light. When we are not walking clean and close to Jesus, we're giving Satan an opportunity to create lies and accuse us in our life we're giving the world an opportunity to get a foothold in our life when we're not walking clean and close to Jesus. When we get our worth and value horizontally from others, our jobs, our roles, etc., we find out the crushing truth that never satisfies. Listen, sometimes people aren't walking in the light in the battle for identity for this reason. You're getting your worth and value from your job. You're getting your worth and value from a relationship. You're getting a worth and value from a role. And this is what you find out. Your job, your relationship, your roles, they never measure up. They always leave you wanting more. The only thing that will give you true worth and identity is in Jesus. And when we live a life where we are getting identity and our worth and our value from other places, horizontally, instead of vertically, one of the things that happens is we allow sin sinful practices and habits that come into our life as we medicate because of the reality of the thing that we're putting our false worth and identity in does not deliver. Jesus only delivers. And friends, that's why we have to constantly go to the well of the gospel and look to Jesus as being the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is where we get our identity. And we've got to walk in that truth. Darkness can become overwhelming and debilitating if you don't let the light in. 
1 John 1, 7, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Here's number five, join in community. Join in community. In your battle for worth and identity, God's given us his word. God has given us his spirit. And you know what? God has given us one another. He's given us his church. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need one another. There's over 100 passages in the New Testament about one anothering. Most of them, most of them are local church life reference. It's about doing life with one another in the local church. The most dangerous place for a Christian to be is alone. God has given us his word. God has given us his spirit. God has given us community. It is in the context of Christian community that we wage war against the lies of the devil and the temptations of this world. The reason we can stand alone in the world is because we are united in Christ through community. Here's number six, my last one I would give you to challenge you with. Never quit and get busy. Never quit and get busy. There's certainly a battle out there for our identity. Where are we going to get our worth and our value? That battle comes from many places. But God's word is clear. In Christ Jesus, we are loved all we can be loved. In Christ Jesus, the greatest approval we need is God's approval, and we are approved. In Christ Jesus, the greatest acceptance we need is God's acceptance, and we are accepted. The greatest family we can have is God's family. And in Christ Jesus, God makes you a part of his family and tells you you can now call him Abba, Father. Friends, those are wonderful truths for us to know who we are in Christ Jesus. But friends, it's not enough just to know who you are in Christ Jesus. It's knowing who you are in Christ Jesus that allows us to live boldly, confidently, and courageously for the glory of the Lord in these days and times we live in. Friends, we're struggling with a cultural witness. We're struggling to show and manifest something to the world that's uniquely Jesus. And one of the reasons we're struggling with that is because many of us don't know who we are in Christ Jesus, and many of us have forgotten who we belong to. Knowing who you are in Christ Jesus creates gospel confidence in your life. Knowing who you are in Christ Jesus creates gospel confidence, which leads to this, gospel courage. Gospel confidence is the fruit of your identity in Christ. Gospel courage is the action from your identity in Christ. I want my family to live with gospel confidence and gospel courage that knowing who they are in Jesus, nothing this world throws at them, nothing that this world will throw at them will overcome the fact that they are loved by God, they are saved by Jesus, he's coming back again one day, and that they can live in this world with confidence and courage because of who he is and what he's done. Never quit and get busy. Your identity in Christ is your motivation to live on mission. Personally, I feel like, again, I don't want to do any eyes of Jesus here, but personally, 
I feel like Joshua the high priest was probably ready to quit. <laughs> I read this passage, and I think about, hey, these are, these are tough times in Israel these days. He's standing before the uh, Lord with excrement-covered clothes, probably ready to quit. And then Zechariah gets this vision. A secondary theme in this text is the recommissioning and reinstatement of Joshua the high priest. God says, you're clean, get busy being my minister. That's what he's saying at the end of that passage. The reality of your identity in Christ, God has exchanged your excrement-covered clothes for the very righteousness of Jesus. This should compel you to be an ambassador for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, there's no stronger motivation for you to step out of these doors and live on mission today than for the glory of God and your identity in Christ. May it be that we step out of here with gospel confidence and gospel courage. You have all you need to live with confidence and courage for the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as your staff and your pastor comes. My invitation to you will be really clear today. Could be the Holy Spirit of God through his word has made you aware of some ways that you are getting your worth and value horizontally. Maybe it's through roles, relationships, jobs, accomplishments, approval. I don't know what it could be. But I do believe as the word of God is preached and goes out, it never returns void. So if you're here today and you know the Holy Spirit has laid on you, the reality that you're getting your worth and identity from the wrong place, would you come? Would you acknowledge that? Would you repent of that? Would you give that to the Lord? Maybe you're here today and you just need to thank the Lord for reminding you of who you are in Jesus. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do that. That today you would just be thankful with a posture of humility, gratitude, and thankfulness. That you are reminded that you are accepted, approved, and adopted by God in Christ Jesus. You have all you need to live in a way that God's called you to live. Maybe you're here today and you need to embrace the next step of what God's calling you to do in obedience. Maybe join this church. Maybe you're here today and God has opened your eyes and softened your heart that you recognize that God loves you so much that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. Maybe you're here today and, and you need to exchange those old uh, robes that you have that are, that are covered in sin and exchange them for the very righteousness of Jesus. Well, I encourage you today, come. Come and talk to one of these pastors here. Come and repent of your sins and believe by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. My prayer is that you would respond to the Spirit and the Word of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen.